Hey, what's up guys, Travis here. And if you've been following me or my story for any length of time, you know that I started a company called Guestio about a year and a half ago now. And one of the things that we are doing this year in 2022 is we're building a concierge program called the Fast Pass that allows you to get booked on top quality shows and platforms for the purpose of spreading awareness for your brand, grabbing attention, uh, growing your credibility, your authority, et cetera, et cetera. And so if you are listening to this right now and you are a seven figure plus entrepreneur and you have a budget to bring in traffic, attention, credibility, authority to your brand, then this might be a really great program for you. Just head over to travischapel.com slash 10K. Why 10K? Because we guarantee in this program that you're going to be able to speak in front of 10,000 people within 90 days. Okay, 10,000 people within 90 days. Imagine getting on a stage in front of 10,000 people to share your message, your story. That's exactly what we are doing inside of this program through virtual stages like podcasts or virtual events or YouTube channels or blogs. You name it, we are working with it, and we are trying to get you booked on those platforms. So travischapel.com slash 10x. There's a quick application there, and then right at the end of that application, it'll prompt you to set up a phone call where you'll jump on a call with me, and we'll talk through whether or not you're a great fit for this program. Please act fast on this. Do not wait because we are only taking on one or two clients a week due to uh, constraints with our team and the limited supply of high quality shows and platforms that are out there in the market. So if that's you and you're really wanting to explode your brand in 2022, head over to travischapel.com slash 10K, fill out the application, schedule a quick phone call, and you and I will chat really soon about whether or not this would be a great fit for you. Thanks, guys. Talk to you soon. Hi, this is Nir Eyal, author of Indistractable, How to Control Your Attention and Choose Your Life. And if you want to learn how to level up your network, you should be listening to the Build Your Network podcast with my friend, Travis Chappell. Welcome to the show. I'm Travis Chappell, and I chat with some of the world's top business influencers, thought leaders, and entrepreneurs in order to crack the code of networking. I believe that who you know is more important than what you know, and that your relationships ultimately determine the person that you become. So if you want to learn the new way of connecting, if you want to fill your network with quality people and skyrocket your results, then you're in the right place because this is the Build Your Network podcast. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Build Your Network. Today, I have the distinct pleasure of sitting down with Nir Eyal. Nir writes, consults, and teaches about the intersection of psychology, technology, and business. Nir previously taught as a lecturer in marketing at the Stanford Graduate School of Business and the Hasso Plattner Institute of Design at Stanford. He also co-founded and sold two tech companies since 2003 and was dubbed by MIT Technology Review as the prophet of habit-forming technology. He is the author of two best-selling books, Hooked, How to Build Habit-Forming Products, and Indistractable, How to Control Your Attention and Choose Your Life. Indistractable received critical acclaim, winning the Outstanding Works of Literature Award, as well as being named one of the best business leadership books of the year by Amazon and one of the best personal development books of the year by Audible. The Globe and Mail called Indistractable the best business book of 2019. In addition to blogging at nearandfar.com, Near's writing has been featured in the New York Times, the Harvard Business Review, Time Magazine, and Psychology Today. Such an incredible resume, guys. I can't wait to dive into this conversation with Nir. But first, really quickly, if you are a content creator yourself or if you like to be a guest on podcasts like this one, I have to ask you a quick question. Have you ever tried 
booking big name guests for your podcast or YouTube channel, virtual summit, but you're just getting lost in a sea of emails and being locked out by gatekeepers, or maybe you just want to bring more attention or focus into your business or into your books or whatever it is that you're working on, but you're not exactly sure how to formulate your pitch and go to hold of the right hosts. Well, that is exactly why uh, me and my team created a really cool software tool called Guestio. Basically, it's an all-in-one tool and marketplace dedicated to helping you streamline your entire guesting workflow. So you can go on there, discover new guests and platforms, pay them directly to be on your show or to be on their show, schedule interviews on your booking calendar, communicate seamlessly with built-in messaging, and then download easily shareable press kits and media information like bios, headshots, and links, and all the other things that you might need for your creation process. So you can get over there to guestio.com and, and browse through our selection of guests, find people like Manny Pacquiao, Jordan Harbinger, Brandon Turner, Lori Harder, and many, many, many others. So if you're tired of being rejected and ignored by top guests and platforms and sick of using a dozen different tools to manage that workflow, then head over to guestio.com today to start your free account and get started using Guestio. That's guestio, G-U-E-S-T-I-O.com. Com. Nir, thank you so much for joining me on the show today, man. I'm really, really looking forward to this conversation. Oh, my pleasure, Travis. Thanks for having me. Of course, of course. I want to immediately start here by building some context for the listeners. You obviously have an incredible resume that we just went through and so many things that you've been able to accomplish in your career so far. So I want to kind of figure out where it all started. How did you get to this point? So talk to me about, let's put an age on it, let's say 12-year-old <laughs> Nir. Okay, so what were your parents doing at the time? And then where did you grow up? Just uh, some information like that. Yeah, thanks. I appreciate it. I, I don't think I've accomplished that much. I feel like I'm just getting started, but I appreciate the kind words. And yeah, so I think for me, my interest in my field, my, my field is, is called behavioral design. So I look into the deeper psychology behind how to shape user behavior, whether that's of products and services or of users shaping their own behaviors. My first book was about how to build habit-forming products. So I work with companies in uh, healthcare, education, fitness, enterprise companies, all kinds of companies that are looking to change consumer behavior. And then on the, on the other side of the, of the equation, I, I reveal some of these secrets so that all of us can take control over our bad habits. That's what my book, Indistractable, is all about. I found myself getting very distracted over the past few years. And so I wrote a book looking at the, how we as consumers can finally, the subtitle of the book is Control Our Attention and Choose Your Life. And so for me, if you ask about, it's funny, you should ask about 12-year-old Nir, because when I was 12 years old, I was clinically obese. And I grew up in Central Florida. I remember that that geography matters because in Central Florida back then, after school, pretty much every day, what you did is you would go to the community pool. We had this pool in our in our complex, like one pool for like a bunch of people's condos. And pretty much every day, that's what the kids in the neighborhood did. But of course, I was so conscious of my weight that I would never go to the pool without my shirt on. I always left my shirt on because I didn't want people to see my roles. And I think that was actually a pretty, looking back, it was a pretty important aspect of my life growing up because I felt for many years, I was obese for quite a while, that food controlled me, that was something that, that I was not in control of. And I think that started my fascination with how products and services can change our life, sometimes for the better and sometimes for the worse, based on how we respond to them. So that was a pretty momentous part of my, my upbringing. I would say so. I would say so. How did that affect your 
you know, social dynamics and stuff when you came to that realization? Well, I will say that I had renewed motivation to do something about it, you know, when I was in high school and I wanted attention from girls, frankly. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I wanted to be the good looking guy. Uh, I was never an athlete. It was very difficult for me to be an athlete when I was obese. And probably the reason that I was obese was because I wasn't athletic. And the reason I wasn't athletic was because I was so overweight. But then, you know, when I wanted to figure out what to do about it, I finally, you know, I had this added motivation uh, once I got interested in girls. And I went through all kinds of of yo-yo diets. You know, I remember I was on the detox diet where you drink nothing but lemon juice and cayenne pepper, the no fat diet, you know, back then everybody thought that fat free was the way to go. And so I tried everything and I went pretty extreme. And I remember even blaming the food companies pretty harshly, right? It's all McDonald's fault. It's all, you know, the fast food companies, the food industry. And don't get me wrong. I mean, they're not in business to make people thin. They're, they're in business to sell product. But I think a real turning point for me was when I said, okay, how do I do something about what I can actually change? And I think the big turning point in my life was when I realized why I was overeating, why I was out of control with the food I ate. By the way, this is something that that's, I still struggle with today. You know, today I'm in the best shape of my life. I'm 42 years old. I weigh less now than I did when I was 12 years old. No. Uh, and so like, but it's still a struggle for me. And I think what I realized, and I think what's carried over into my work is that distraction, and I mean distraction in terms of doing anything that is not what you plan to do. In Indistractable, I talk about the opposite of distraction is not focus. The opposite of distraction is traction. Traction is any action that moves you towards what you want to do, towards your values, towards becoming the kind of person you want to become. And the opposite of traction is dis traction, anything that moves you away from what you intended to do, away from your values, away from becoming the kind of person you want to become. And so for me, overeating was a distraction just as later in life, checking my phone too much, right? Going on social media too much, being distracted with everything that's going on in the world rather than doing my work that was so important to me. And so it's the same thing. And I think the the thing that most people don't understand about distraction, they blame the external triggers, right? They blame the things outside of themselves, the pings, the dings, the rings, all the things outside of us that can cause distraction, certainly. But what I was surprised to find in my five years of research is that most distraction begins from within. Hmm. That most distraction, the reason we procrastinate, the reason we get distracted, the the reason we do things against our better judgment is because of an emotion regulation problem. It's not a moral failing. There's nothing wrong with you. It's simply that we haven't learned how to deal with discomfort. And this is where the the analog to food comes in, in that, look, the reason I was obese, it wasn't because food was delicious. I didn't even eat only when I was hungry. Actually, most of the time when I was eating, I wasn't even hungry. I was eating my feelings, right? And this is very, very common that I was eating because I was bored. I was eating because I was lonely. I was eating because I felt shame for eating so much. And it's the same thing with our phones. It's the same reason for why we get distracted with our devices, right? We, we turn on the news so we can hear about somebody else's problem halfway around the world so we don't have to think about our own. We mm. check Facebook because we're lonely. We, you know, we go to all different kinds of products and services because we are looking to escape an emotion. And once you understand that, that it's not just about what's happening outside of you, but what is happening inside of you, that's the first step to becoming indistractable. That's where we can say, oh, okay, this is in my control. This is something I can do something about and you can get on that path. How important is it to make the distinction between the things that you can control and the things that you can't control? I think it's incredibly important because I think it, it screens out these one-size-fits-all solutions. I tried meditation for quite a long time. For 365 days, actually, I made myself a promise that I would meditate every single day for a whole year. 
Wow. And meditation is great. Okay. I'm not dogging medica- meditation. I'm not, I'm going to get a bunch of hate mail if I do that. I'm not saying that meditation <laughs> is not good. It's great, but it's a tool in your toolkit. Okay. Meditation and mindfulness is wonderful for helping you deal with uncomfortable sensations that you cannot change. Yeah. Okay. It's a specific application. However, sometimes for some problems in life, you need to get off, off, get up off your butt, stop meditating and figure out why you're feeling this discomfort. Where is that uncomfortable sensation coming from and deal with it. So it's not that, that it's not a good tool. It is, but only for a certain application. I think, unfortunately, you know, in the self-help community, it's a very fad-driven business, right? Yes, like, okay, right. everybody today, we're going to all meditate. No, okay, yeah. no, no, that doesn't work. No, no, no. Now, cold showers. <laughs> yeah. yeah, cold showers. Everybody do cold showers. Everybody wake yeah. up at 4 a.m. And it's always so gimmicky and tactic-driven as opposed to strategic-driven. Tactics are what you do. Strategy is why you do it. And I think that's what I seek to explain in my work. It's very, you know, I draw on a lot of academic studies to prove that, look, this isn't just some, you know, a pet project of somebody said, oh, I, you know, 4 a.m. showers are a great idea. No, no, the science is here to show you exactly my methodology. I don't think you should take 4 a.m. showers, by the way, but, but there is a lot of other stuff that the yeah. research has been around for decades that we right. can all use to help us. I think it's important to understand the difference between the action and the mindset as well. It's funny because um, I was at a, a conference one time and Naveen Jain was one of one of the speakers. I don't, I don't know if you know, know Naveen, but he's a uh, multi-billionaire and and he was talking about the Tony Robbins ice baths and he mm. said people ask him all the time about his routine and the and like the things that he does and he's like you're missing the point if you're only focused on the actual routine it's more yeah. about the mindset he was like you can wake up every single day and take 12 ice baths but you're not right. going to be Tony Robbins it's the way that right. he thinks it's the philosophy behind those things that really is the thing that you need to be able to encapsulate and then that's going to work itself out in those routines in a different way for every single person, right? Right. And, and so that's why I really try and break down what the research says. I mean, there's 30 pages of citations. I, I Again, one of my beasts with, this, with the self-help community is that it's always, well, this works for me, and so it's going to work for you. Well, okay, that's nice, sure. but I also want to see the peer-reviewed studies, right? Let me see the science. Right. And so that's why there's 30 pages of citations of peer-reviewed journals. And I break down the model so that you can really understand the strategy. The strategy is you have traction and distraction. Think of it like a number line, right? Pointing to the, the right and to the left. Mm-hmm. And then you have these two triggers, external triggers and internal triggers pointing to the center of that number line. And so these internal triggers and external triggers can lead us to traction, things we intend to do, or anything else, distraction, anything that leads us away from our values. And so now we have the strategy. And so what we're going to do is we're going to work our way through these four points. This is how we become indistractable. First, we master the internal triggers. Then we make time for traction. Then we hack back the external triggers. And then we prevent distraction with packs. And now we can get into the tactics, right? But unless you understand that strategy and what order to do them in, Mm, then it doesn't work. Yeah, I love that. And I love how this new book that that you came out with, Indistractable, I love how this ties into something that you learned when you were 12 years old (laughs) that we were talking about at the very beginning of this conversation. And something that I thought was like a moral failing, something I thought was wrong with me, something I was embarrassed about. It turned out to actually be my my strength. (laughs) Yeah, life's work. (laughs) Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, it's true. I kind of want to get back into the story here for just a second and uh, just kind of complete, you know, from then until now. 
So you end up getting this thing under control. And to realize that at such a young age, I mean, that's absolutely incredible. How did that translate into post high school? What was the path for you after high school? I didn't get it under control at 12. (laughs) I was just obese at 12. It took me a long time to figure it out. Well into adulthood, in fact. But my path after I went to undergrad at Emory, met my wife there. And then uh, we've been married for almost 20 years now. And uh, then we started, thanks. Yeah, we, uh, I started out as a, as a consultant. I worked at Boston Consulting Group right out of college as a strategy consultant. Then I started uh, my first business. Uh, my wife and I actually started the business together. She went off to banking. I did consulting. And then we left those jobs and decided to start a solar energy business. And this was way back in 2003, back when like nobody was doing solar, but it was a really good time. And we sold the company a few late, a few years later to a private equity firm. And then I went off to business school at Stanford. And uh, while at Stanford, I started another company, ran that for a few years. And that's where I learned a lot about uh, what I put in my first book, Hooked, How to Build Habit Forming Products, because I had a front row seat at what was going on in Silicon Valley back in, in 2007, 2008, when a lot of these companies like Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and these companies were, were just hitting their stride. And so I learned a lot of lessons there. And then after my second company was, was acquired, I had some time on my hands and I just started thinking in public. I, I started blogging about what I was working on and I, and I really became fascinated with habits. I believe that whatever I wanted to do next, I wanted to involve habits in some way, thinking I was going to start another company. And I just started blogging about it. After about a, a year of just you know blogging and trying to figure out what I was going to do next, another company to start, one of my former professors at Stanford talking about uh, your network, read my blog and said, I really like this. What do you think about teaching a class with me? And he said, you know, look, I, I have uh, this, this carte blanche from the university to teach whatever. And I think your model would be great. So what if we teach a class on habit forming products? Wow. Yeah. So that, that was yeah. great. Uh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so he was very generous and said, look, you know, I, I think you know enough to create a, a syllabus for this class. Let me know where I can help. And he kind of let me run with it. And so I taught there for many years, the lecture in marketing, and then I moved over to the design school and that became uh, essentially my first book. That's where I kind of battle tested these ideas and, and practiced them with students and then put in this you know, years of knowledge and research into this book, the first book, Hooked. That was a way that my network really did, did help me advance my career. I'm curious on the decision, and I'm sure you get this a lot, but I'm curious about the decision to, after you'd already built and sold a successful business, to go back Mm -hmm. to school at Stanford. Was it more of a curiosity thing? Did you feel like there were certain things about the business Mm -hmm. that you still wanted to learn? What was the main motivation there? Yeah, so Stanford was the only school I applied to. And the reason I applied only to one school is that I I didn't really want to go to business school if it wasn't to go out to Silicon Valley. Because at the time, Mm -hmm. this was, let's say this would have been 2006. And I started reading in the paper around like, oh my goodness, there's these companies that instead of selling hardware, right, instead of selling atoms, you know, I had a a, a warehouse full of solar panels that I was on the hook for that if they didn't sell, I'd be in debt. (laughs) So I had, Mm. this was very stressful. And yet here are these tech companies who weren't selling things made out of atoms, they were selling things made out of bits. Yeah, wow, that is amazing. (laughs) How do I learn how to do that? And we just got very fortunate that, uh, you know, I applied not on a fluke. I mean, I definitely, you know, took, you know, made a lot of effort to apply and sure, yeah. do that and all that. But I just applied to one school and I figured, you know what, if it's not in the cards to go to Stanford, then it's okay. I'll, I'll keep running the business. And it just so happened that after I applied and was accepted that we got an offer to sell the company, we originally thought maybe my wife would continue running the business, but we, we got an offer that was a great offer. So we decided to take it and then head off to school. Nice. That's awesome. I, I just was curious about that 
This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match and match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need this platform, guys. I'm telling you, Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates so you can connect with those people even faster. And it doesn't just help you hire faster. In fact, 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And look, guys, one of the things that I wish I would have used Indeed for is this matching service. You can search and search and search and search and search all day long, but to actually be presented with quality candidates, like 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 hiring a a recruiter for you that's presenting people that has actually done the work to vet them and uh, bring quality people in front of you, that work by itself is uh, the fact that it's done by a software instead of like a team of high quality recruiters is is pretty insane. So they leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day, which is why Indeed's matching engine is the best one that you can use. It's constantly learning from your own preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at indeed.com slash Travis. Just go to indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Now, what is the big thing for you, Nir? What's on the horizon? Do you have anything that's big projects coming up, things that you're working on? You know, I am really focused to on this goal of helping the world become indistractable. I think that this is such a massive problem. And I think, unfortunately, what I think happened with food is happening right now with technology that clearly, yeah. you know, we, we have such an abundance of delicious food. And therefore, I think in, in many ways, it, it may led to or was a contributing factor in obesity. And I think today we have such an abundance of information and entertainment that this leads to a battle for attention. Now, I think what's going to happen is that what the knee-jerk reaction, I think we see that today, is that everybody's blaming technology. Just like a few years ago, everybody blamed McDonald's. Yeah, right. uh, I think what we're going to see, hopefully what I'm looking for is the tribe of people who say, okay, clearly these products are made to be engaging. And of course, that's what we would want. We want the, you know, do we want products to be built to not right. be engaging? Do we want crappy hey, products? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Netflix, your shows are too good. Please stop making such interesting movies. <laughs> you know, Apple, your, your devices are too user-friendly. Please stop that. No, that's not going to happen. <laughs> so, yeah, right. so what I'm hoping for is to find the people who say, look, what can I do about this? You know, my kids are using technology sure. too much. I'm using technology too much. My spouse is using tech. We're getting distracted. How do I do what I say I'm going to do? How do I live with personal integrity? By learning what I can do about the problem, as opposed to waiting for, you know, the geniuses in Washington, D.C. to do something about it. Right, exactly. Why would we wait? <laughs> Let's do something about it right now ourselves. And so that's 100% of my effort right now is just focus on getting out that message. You said two things there that are extremely important, I think, holistic life lessons. The first thing that you were talking about is taking responsibility. Ultimately, that's what it is, right? It's personal responsibility and taking control into your own hands and not expecting, you know, these companies or the government or politics to come into the equation. 
and make it their responsibility. And then the other thing that you mentioned there was relative to the actual social dynamic of being on those social platforms and expecting that you're going to get this different result out of it. Can you speak more to the power of the responsibility uh, yeah. piece that you mentioned? Because I think that, I mean, that is a huge lesson that I've learned in the last few years uh, is, is how much control that gives you. And I know that's kind of exactly what you, what you like talking about. So if you can just kind of expound on that for a quick second. Absolutely, yeah. And I want to be very clear. A lot of people think that responsibility is the same as blame, and it's not, okay? These things are not your fault. Yes. Okay, you didn't invent delicious McDonald's hamburgers. You didn't invent Facebook. You didn't invent the iPhone. These things are not your fault, Yeah. but they are your responsibility. Because the price of progress, the price of living in a world with so many good things in it, right? Does anybody want to go back to a time before these technologies? I mean, life was never better in terms of our standard of living mm -hmm. than was made possible through these technologies. We don't want to go back in time. There was no mythical time where there was the good old days where everything was better. No, it never existed. And of course, we have some new problems that have come with these technologies, with the, you know, whether that's food technology that makes food more delicious and cheaper, or whether it's you know, our devices. There are clearly problems that come with it, absolutely. But that doesn't mean we're powerless. And so the message I want to spread is that while these things aren't your fault, they are your responsibility and you are way more powerful than you think. You know, there's this scene, uh, do you ever, you ever seen the movie Indiana Jones? It's a kind of an older yes. film that you remember. Okay. So you know that, that part in Indiana Jones where Indiana Jones comes out into the bazaar and there's this guy dressed in all black and he has these two swords and he yeah. starts, you know, doing this crazy knife routine and like throwing the knives in the air and does it, you know, very intimidating. And what does Indiana Jones do? He takes out his gun, yeah, bang, shoots, shoots the guy, right? <laughs> and that's exactly right. what's going on. The tech companies, they have the fancy algorithms and the computer processors and the this and the that. Very scary. And all we have to do is turn off the damn notifications, <laughs> yeah. right? Like it's not that hard, people. <laughs> right, right. I mean, that's the tip of the iceberg for one type of, of distraction. But it just goes to show you that we are way more powerful. There's nothing that Mark Zuckerberg can do if you change your notification settings, right? So right. we can learn some, some very basic things that all of us can use and teach our children, teach our organizations, teach our colleagues, teach our spouse to make sure that we control these technologies as opposed to them controlling us. Yes, ultimately, you have the final say. Ultimately, you are in control. I love that. Can, can you talk a little bit near about, obviously, this is a Build Your Network podcast, talk a lot about relationships and, and uh, how to go about cultivating connections properly. Can you talk a little bit about how we are technically the most connected society that we've ever, that uh, we've ever, has ever existed, but also at the same time, least connected in a way because of the distractions that we have and we're not fully engaged in conversation. How have you seen these types of things affect our interpersonal relationships? Yeah. So one of the things I talk about in the book is about making time for traction, which is all about turning your values into time. And so I talk about these three life domains of you, your relationships, and your work, and how important it is to make time for those things. Because this is one of the central tenets of, of my philosophy around Indistractable is that you cannot call something a distraction unless you know what you got distracted from. Let me say that again. You can't call something a distraction unless you know what you got distracted from. Hmm. So if there's nothing on your schedule, you can't complain, okay? Because if you didn't plan your day, somebody's gonna plan it for you. What did you get distracted from? You didn't know what you wanted to do with your time. And that includes connecting with others, that critical relationship domain. One of the reasons that we have this loneliness epidemic in this country 
It didn't start with Facebook. This is a, a, an old problem. Robert Putnam wrote about this problem in the 1990s in his book, Bowling Alone. And I think it's, if anything, the excessive use of social media is a symptom of sure. the disease, not the disease itself. The disease itself, according to sociologists, is that we do not reserve time for the important relationships in our life, right? That when you look at demographically, in this country, it used to be that many more people were involved in civic groups, right? The book was called Bowling Alone because people used to go to bowling leagues every Thursday and Kiwanis Club on Fridays and church group on Sundays. The number of people who have social interaction on their calendars has gone down precipitously. This is why we have a loneliness epidemic in our country. This is why we turn to social media when we are missing the real world interaction. The yeah. good news is, we can wake up and bring it back. Put the time on your calendar for the important relationships in your life, okay? It is so absolutely critical. If you have a best friend, if you have family members who would like to hear from you, if you have siblings, if you have kids, book the time for them and keep that time sacred. And even if you know, you're on quarantine, I think one of the silver linings of this, uh, this terrible corona crisis is that, you know, I don't know about in your household, but here in my household, my daughter has more interaction with her grandparents than ever before because she has Zoom calls scheduled every week at the same time. And mm -hmm. I really hope that's something that continues for people, this, this regular interaction with the important people in their life, as opposed to giving the important people scraps of time that are left right. over in a day. Exactly. Yeah. That you're, you're just tossing them the leftovers instead of right. being on purpose with it. And that's everything that we talk about here on the show near is basically being more purposeful about the relationships that you're building in your, in your personal life, but also the professional relationships and business connections and things like that. So in an effort to kind of steer the conversation along that path, I'm curious to hear your response to this question, who you know, or what you know, which of those two would you view as being more important and why? Ooh, that's like nature or nurture. That's a tough one. <laughs> <laughs> and to be clear, and I, I, I tell people, this is like the staple question of the show. Everybody answers yeah. this question. So I know it's, I know it's always going to be a little yin and yang there, but if you had to yeah. emphasize one of them, which, which one would you pick? Ooh, I mean, I, I think we need different things from different areas of our life. You know, when I think mm -hmm. it, when it comes to professional advancement, I think knowing what you want and, and having a base of inform of wisdom, I would say is yeah. very, very important. But not everybody in business needs to have a outcome or a goal for those relationships because many times these, these relationships, you don't know where they're going to end up. So it's, it's great to, I think where you can use what you know is that it can advance who you know. Hmm. So the more you know, the more you become a person who has wisdom to share, the more people you would want to know want to talk to you, hmm. right? So like people reach out to me now because I know a lot about this one topic and they want to learn more. And so now I get to meet really interesting people who I'm sure will you know, be friends or do business with or whatever. And so I think you know, what you know can be a vehicle for meeting people you would want to know. Love it, man. How's Love that? It. Yeah, no, that, that's, a, that's, a, that's a great answer. That's a great answer. You figured out a way to make it both, which I, which I really <laughs> <There> respect. <you> <laughs> <go>. <laughs> to kind of emphasize the importance of maybe some of the relationships that you've been able to build over the course of your career, if you're looking back, like blimp view, right? 30,000 foot zoomed out view of your, of your career up to this point. Are there any relationships or connections maybe that stick out to you? Like the one you're talking about with your professor where, you know, maybe at first you didn't really think much of it, but it ended up turning into something that was huge later on down the road. You know, I, the first that comes to mind is my wife. You know, we met the first week of school freshman year. Oh, wow. And I mean, I thought she was very cute and, and I wanted to know her better. But of course, I wouldn't have imagined that she would be my life partner and my business partner. 
And we're so different. We're so different, right? She's, you know, we we come from different cultural backgrounds, different religious backgrounds, different geographic backgrounds. And yet we have so much in common. And she's really been the rock of my life. And I'm, I'm so fortunate to have met her, especially when like now looking back to think, oh my God, we met when we were 18 and 19 years old. That's crazy, right? <laughs> like my daughter's 12. There's no way I could imagine her meeting a future spouse in, in just seven years, six or seven years from now. That's crazy. Right. But, uh, you know, sometimes sometimes you you run into the right people and uh, they, they change your life forever. Yeah, no kidding. Such a great story there. Uh, I want to just ask you a quick question before we move into the last segment here, Nir. I want to be respectful of your time. Talk to me about your investment portfolio. I know that you have an impressive uh, list of investments, a lot of different companies that you have invested in that have obviously worked out pretty well and uh, paid some pretty good dividends for you. So I'm curious to hear what you look for when you're examining potential investments. And I know this is kind of a one-off out of the blue question, but I wanted to make sure that we got this uh, taken care of before we move into the last segment here. Yeah, so I make uh, time for people who have read my books on my calendar every week. It's one of the techniques that I talk about in in Distractable is about making office hours. So if, uh, you know, I get a lot of calls from people who have read one of my books and said, hey, I really want to talk to you about this thing in your book, or I want to pitch you my business, or... Uh, I need some advice. And as much as I would love to meet with everybody, I just I just can't. I wouldn't right. have time for anything else. And so what I did was make these office hours. And I say, look, every week I will speak to whoever wants to talk to me. You can book time right on my calendar. It's totally free in 15-minute increments, four sessions in one hour. And you know, if someone needs to talk to me urgently, if it's a business that needs a consulting question, okay, they can pay for that and they can kind of skip the line. Or sure. it's totally free. If you, if you book the time there, you can book time with me and anybody can talk to me at no cost and ask whatever question they like. And so I do about 200 calls a year, right? For a week, I do about you know, 200 of these calls a, a year. And that's my deal flow, not intentionally, but you know, about two or three companies a year. So a, a little over 1% of the people I talk to have really great ideas. And I say, wow, this is, this is really cool. <laughs> you know, are you looking to raise some money? And that's how I've, I've invested in the companies I have so far. Uh, so Kahoot, cool. Which is uh, an education company that just went public a few months ago. They're now valued at over a billion dollars. That's how it happened, right? Uh, Johan called me, the founder called me five years ago and said, we read your book. We used your hook model. Here's our company. We have a couple questions. And by the end of the call, I said, this is amazing. How can I participate? And so that's, that's really where I, I find these businesses. And my, and my investment thesis, you know, I, I, I don't invest in things I don't understand. So I don't know much about crypto. I don't know much about, you know, pharmaceuticals, uh, those just aren't my industries. Mm. What I understand is habit-forming products. I understand how to build products that are designed for user engagement. So I invest in companies that use my book model. Love it, man. Uh, kind of a selfish question there for me, but um, I'm glad I asked it. <laughs> and, uh, let's go ahead and move <laughs> into the last segment here. Something that's called the random round. Just quick random questions, quick random answers. Ready? Okay. I'm scared. Let's do it. <laughs> What profession other than your own do you think that it'd be fun to attempt? Pilot. I always wanted to be an Air Force pilot, but I got glasses and couldn't do it. If you could sit on a park bench with someone, past or present, and chat for an hour, who would it be? Richard Feynman. How do you like to consume content? Books, audiobooks, blogs, podcasts, or videos? I like to, so this is another hack in my, in my book. I, I have a rule. I never read articles on the web. I save them to an app called Pocket. And then I have another app called Voice Dream that reads the articles to me. So I have a rule. I, oh, I nice. never read articles on the web. 
I only listen to articles while I'm exercising. So when I'm in the gym or uh, running, I'll listen to these articles. So I use this app called Voice Dream to read the articles to me. Give us a glimpse of your morning routine. Oh, my morning routine is 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 very similar every single day. It's uh, I, I get up at seven. I have breakfast with my family from seven to eight. From eight to ten, I check email. From ten to noon, I write. I have my my writing time. Then I eat lunch, uh, typically with my family. And then in the afternoons, I have meetings, consulting engagements, filming, things like that. Uh, and then one day a week on Wednesdays, I have time in the afternoon with my daughter. And that's pretty much my days. What is your go-to pump-up song? I have the tiger. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. That's, that's a timeless one. What is something that you are just not very good at? Oh my God, where do I start? I am still not very coordinated or athletic and I never have been because I, I think I never got started as a kid. So like, you know, I can I can lift weights, but that doesn't actually require much skill. It just requires strength. And I can run, um, but, uh, you know, nothing that actually requires like hitting a ball or making a basket or anything like that. I'm very, very bad at that stuff. And as we get everything wrapped up here, near what is one place online where our listeners can go to connect with you the most? Sure. So my blog is called nearandfar.com. Near is spelled like my first name. So that's N-I-R and far.com. And my latest book is called Indistractable, How to Control Your Attention and Choose Your Life. And it's available wherever books are sold. Nearandfar.com. That's near as in his first name, N-I-R andfar.com. Head over there to learn more about Near, find out some of the things that he's putting out there. Also, please go pick up a copy of his book, Indistractable. If you're familiar with the Netflix documentary that's trending right now called Social Dilemma, this will be one of those books that will help pull you out of that matrix and, and set you on a path to controlling your own destiny again. So uh, that's indistractable. Go pick up a copy of it before you forget. Nir, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, I had a blast chatting with you. It was a lot of fun. My pleasure. Thank you so much. Well, that's it for this episode. If you want to connect with me and other like-minded people who also listen to the show, then you're going to want to head over to travischapel.com slash group to join my free Facebook group, The Lounge. I'll see you over there. And remember to leave every relationship better than you found it. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.